morning, Milton Bible Church family. We have a special treat today. Uh, in fact, our Food for Life director, Carolyn Kubis, is going to speak to us about what's happening uh, in Food for Life ministry and some of the things that God's doing. It's been 10 years now since we have been faithfully distributing food week after week, um, week in and week out, no matter what, no matter what the weather, no matter what uh, is happening around us, uh, our volunteers have been incredible. And Carolyn Kubis has been leading that along with her Bailey uh, for all these years. And so we thank God for her and we look forward. I uh, hope you enjoy this report by Carolyn. Hi everyone, my name is Carolyn Kubis and I am the co-coordinator of Food for Life here at Milton Bible Church. I come to you today with a thankful heart in these times of unpredictability. For the past few months, to say it's been a challenge to run our Food for Life program would be an understatement. In March of this year, we went from a warm and cozy, predictable environment inside this building to delivering our food in the parking lot. To say it was not so easy and not so comfortable. But God was on the move and we didn't really know why he was shaking things up. Our mission had not changed. Whatever we were given, we were going to freely give back out again. Like it says in Proverbs 16:9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines the steps. This is all too true in our new environment here, Food for Life at Milton Bible Church. But what's been God doing in in the midst of this uh, pandemic in the spring and summer here? Well, we've been provided for. We have masks, gloves, cleaning supplies, tents, community donations, and a church that supports us immensely. Financially, we've been blessed financially in this time, and please be prayerful in how we consider what we do to bless our community back with this financial donation. We've been protected. We've been protected with the, the good weather. We've been protected by prayer from our church and we're very thankful for that. Each and every week, we've had faithful volunteers, uh, faithful delivery of safe food from Food for Life. We've had open doors in an environment where most businesses are either closing or struggling to keep their doors open. But our church has remained open to a few, few volunteers each and every week and we've been able to securely um, set up a system in our parking lot here. We've even been able to rent out our kitchen to our Food for Life um, headquarters, and they are using the kitchen um, around 30 hours a week to make fresh, pre-made, um, packaged foods that we can deliver out to the community. Last week, I think we gave um, just over 200 meals um, out in our drive-through service. So you wonder how it's grown over the past few months? We were skeptical at the beginning. The first week we were in our parking lot, we gave away 52 bags, a few loaves of bread, some buns, and some, some fresh meat. We hit week 23 last week, and week 23 showed 225 bags, which has been very consistent for the past six weeks. So we give 225 bags of food each and every week, along with fresh food, meat, some other donations from other organizations, canned goods, even fresh fruit, or um, uh, a donation from a farm in town. All of these bags are being packed at the head office in Burlington. 
Last week, they reached over 2,800 bags being pre-bagged and delivered to the communities in the Halton region. We do have some needs. I ask that you continue to keep us on your prayer radar. We, as we plan for the fall and winter and more interesting weather conditions. We also ask for prayer that if you're led to volunteer, if you'd like to come out and help set up tables, clean up, um, pre-bag some food, hand out food in our uh, lineup, or even direct traffic in the parking lot. I ask that you're also in prayer that we can safely provide more connections in our parking lot to our neighbors in their vehicles. So whether you support us from home in prayer, or you're here each week volunteering, or you've donated to our Food for Life outreach, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the support you've given us, and I want to thank the church for being um, an immense support for our team. I hope you be blessed, be healthy, and stay safe. Good morning, Milton Bible Church. Welcome once again to NBC Church Online. It's great to be together. Uh, before we begin, I just want to express a personal note to thank uh, you for all of your kind words and um, encouragement and your prayers in the passing of my father this week. Um, it really has been uh, great support, and uh, we have felt uh, your prayers we felt so loved and encouraged by you. So thank you for all that you're doing and all that you've done. Um, it's been harder than I thought it would be. And I, I know they say no matter what, it's, um, you're never ready for it. And even though we know this has been coming for months, it, it has been a difficult time. So thank you so much for your kindnesses. Listen, wasn't that a great uh, presentation by uh, Carolyn Kubis? Um, God is doing so many wonderful things at Food for Life, so many th wonderful things in which we have seen the ministry expand and grow, and it was a great report to hear all the things that are happening, um, the way that we are seeing uh, many, many needs being met. Um, when we originally started, we were feeding uh, a, a smaller group of people, but now it's in the hundreds. And this summer, we've just seen hundreds of families come through. And every week, we, can, we still see new families. So the demand is great. The need is great. And I'm so thankful for Carolyn's leadership and for the team, the mighty team that is serving each and every week. You know, to God be the glory. I want to ask you a question as we begin, and here's the question. How many of you want to live a life of impact? How many of you want to live a life of impact? Do you know what? Inside, if you're a follower of Christ, I know you do. I know you, whether you say it explicitly or whether you say it secretly, I know you do. Well, understand this, it all starts with knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and growing in our identity with him. Well, let me just say this as well, it's back to school season. And for many people, it is not the most wonderful time of the year. 
This year above others is an intense time. It's a time where I'm finding people are very stressful, whether it's all over the news or whether it's in the neighborhood. People are worried. People are stressed out about their kids going back to school. And not just for ordinary things, not just for things that uh, are, are difficult. So for instance, if you, whether you're sending your kids to kindergarten or to college, it can be a difficult time, and people are like, you know, there's, I find there's kind of two camps here. The one uh, group of parents says, no, I want my kids to stay home. I, I'll miss them as soon as they go. And then there's the other set of parents that say, uh, put on the music. It's party time. Time to dance. Kids are at school. Big break. Loving it. Um, but no matter where, what camp you're in, you know, things can be kind of tough. And during these days of COVID-19, many parents are asking, are my kids safe? Are my kids safe? Will we do school online? Will we do school in class at, you know, at their uh, local school? Will I homeschool? Um, we know a number of kids that are, or a number of young people that are taking a year off. They're going to take a gap year and not go to their f first year of school online. They're making, having to make very, very difficult decisions. Um, others are, are wondering, you know, about physical distancing. You know, will my kids actually keep their mask on? You know, what is going to happen? Or will some students take them off? Or will some students say, hey, I really like that mask. Let's trade masks. And they come home with a different mask. And mom and dad are freaking out. Some people are ready for their kids to go back to school and others not so much. It's an expensive time of year as well, isn't it? I mean, people buy clothing, they go and they do shopping, whether it's online or they go to stores and they're buying school supplies. In this modern age of technology and education, people are buying tablets, people are buying laptops, people are buying things that they're being told are absolutely essential for a child to get an education during these days. In fact, you know what, certain grandparents, they are laughing. And the reason is because the word diaper if you spell it backwards, it spells the word repaid. So grandparents are kind of laughing, saying, yeah, it's your turn. You're going to you know, be spending a fortune you know, where you're getting paid back. Just let that one wash over you and, and try to figure that one out. But understand this. We're all living in difficult times together. We're all living at difficult times. Faith is being tested. And believe it or not, the faith of our children will be tested as well. They will choose if they will follow Christ or they will follow the crowd. They will have to make some difficult decisions this year, no matter what their education looks like. And the key is not what they're wearing. The key is not whether they have a MacBook Pro or not. The key really is what kind of faithful examples and role models do they have to follow as they go into this new season at school? as they live in this turbulent time. So today we want to look at a church, one of the seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three, the church of Philadelphia, that is known for its faithfulness, that is known for being a role model, that is known for um, being faithful to Christ during difficult days. So here's the big idea. The big idea is this. Choosing faithfulness to Christ is greater than fame in the world. Choosing faithfulness to Christ is greater 
than finding fame in the world. And some say, well, don't we need fame? Don't we need wealth? Don't we need money to make an impact if we want to make an impact as God's people or make an impact as a church? Lots of money in a big building, isn't that what we need? Well, understand this. The Lord Jesus Christ, he had 12 guys with a teachable spirit and they sat under a tree and they turned the world upside down. It's not that we need fame and fortune and money and all kinds of, you know, things to make an impact. We don't. That's not the point. What we need to be able to do is to be faithful to our calling in Christ. To be faithful to our calling in Christ. We need to steward the things that God has given to us and allow the Lord to open the doors that he desires to open. Powerful days, changing days, days where we're not really sure what's going to happen next, it seems. But God knows, and he has a plan, and we need to hear our, have our ears inclined to his voice. So this morning, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into uh, looking at the Church of Philadelphia. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're looking at verses 7 to 13. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the folks who have gone before and this church in Philadelphia that's been found faithful to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for who you are. We thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that no one loves us like you love us. We thank you that you walk with us during difficult days. We thank you that you open doors and you close doors. And you know exactly what you're doing, even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, and that you are working out your plans for blessing, and you're working out your plans to see your kingdom come. And so we thank you and we praise you and we look forward to all you will do in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So about this letter to Philadelphia, a couple things. First of all, I want you to understand there is no rebuke in this letter. There is no condemnation. There is no, hey, you got it wrong over here. You need to fix that over there. It's an absolutely phenomenal letter, a great letter. And, uh, and, and so you won't find anything like that. We're calling this series Sliders, and it's about churches that slide and why they slide. Well, this church is not sliding. This church is not shifting. This church is not drifting. This church is solid. This church could sing with a clean uh, with a clean. Uh, heart raising pure hands, one of my favorite hymns, Be Thou My Vision, which says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, thou treasure, my treasure thou art. It's just an amazing church. It's a great church. It's a church that has its priorities right and are are focused on Christ and his gospel. So in Philadelphia, there are no sliders. 
Others slide, others shift, others drift. They either shift or drift through persecution or through following after fleshly desires. But these folks are faithful. These folks are faithful in Philadelphia. And we need to rejoice in that. In fact, we can learn a lot from them. And we're going to learn some things this week. So let me tell you about ancient Philadelphia. Let me tell you a little bit about it. It was established in 189 BC by King Eumenes II of Pergamum. And Eumenes II uh, named the city for the love of his brother, who would be his successor, Atlas II. And uh, he, 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 his loyalty to his brother actually earned him the nickname Adelphos. And the word Adelphos literally means one who loves his brother. And that is why Philadelphia, or the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, we, say, we call it the city of brotherly love. But this name actually doesn't really start in Pennsylvania. This thing starts, you know, uh, eons ago um, back in Asia Minor. And so that's part of the history of the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is also one of the seven churches that's part of the old Roman postal route. In Asia Minor, uh, what we're studying is seven churches that are in seven cities around Asia Minor. And what you're going to find is Philadelphia is the easternmost uh, city that we are going to study. It's an important city. It's a pivotal city for the Romans uh, during these days, uh, during the time that this was written. Because what the Romans did was they used Philadelphia to spread the gospel. Now, not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to spread the gospel of the Roman culture, its music, its poetry, um, its customs. And in fact, Philadelphia touched on three other countries. So it was a gateway city. So what happened was, um, what happened was the Roman culture was being transported, was being proclaimed and spread abroad in other countries. Uh, Places, so it was a very, it was a very important city, a very influential city. Another thing to note, it was a city that was surrounded by volcanoes, so it knew earthquakes, it knew volcanoes, and that's important as well for what Jesus is going to say. But the key here is found in verse eight. In verse eight, it's it, Jesus says this to the church. He says this. He says, "I know that you have but little power." I know that you have but little power. Now, what he's referring to is political power. He's saying, I know that you're a small city. I know that you're a small church. And I know that you think you have very little political clout. But what they had was they had the spirit of God. And they had the presence of God, which made them powerful in Jesus Christ. Uh, in fame and in fortune, they were small, but in God, they had someone very powerful walking with them. And Jesus says, I know that you feel you have little power, but guess what? <laughs> You're going to make a big impact. And he tells them how. He tells them how. He says that they are going to do it through their faithfulness. And so he gives us three ways to be faithful. And the first one is found in verses 7 and 8. And what he says, listen, you want to make a big impact? The key is faithfulness. And in verse 7 
and eight, he says, be faithful to the work that you've been given. Listen to what Jesus says. He says to John, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, a couple of things that Jesus describes himself, and it's important for us to understand. The first thing he says, um, he says, I'll tell you who stands before you is the Holy One and the True One. The True One, the Holy One, the one who is pure, the one who is set apart for God, the one who is genuine. And then he says, the true one. And the word true there is the opposite of the word fake. And what he's saying is the holy one who is genuine is the true one who is not a fake. And isn't that so true that we are attracted to people who have a different life, an attractive life, but also people who are not false, people who are not fake. And Jesus says, and that's who I am. And that is what is attractive about me. And that is why you love me and, and I love you. But it's also what makes us attractive to others and makes us uh, viable in our witness to others. Isn't it to know that Jesus is holy and trustworthy and he's not a fake? Isn't it great to know that? Well, there's another word here, the way Jesus describes himself. He, he also says, I have the key of David. I have the key of David. And what Jesus is referring to there, it's an allusion to a guy by the name, Eli, uh, name of Eliakim. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, and some of those verses that are there, it's going to tell you about Eliakim. Because what Eliakim had, he was given the key to the house of David, to the treasury of David. And he actually ruled over Israel. And what Jesus is saying is just as Eliakim ruled over Israel, I rule over the church. And I have the key to the treasure of heaven. I have the key of David. That's what he's saying there. And that's what he means there. You see, the promise of Jesus is if you really want to make an impact, you don't need to be heard on earth. You need to be heard in heaven. And what Jesus says is, listen, I hold the key to the treasury of heaven. And I hold the key and I rule over the earth. And what you need to be is to be heard in heaven. That's what is important. You can be known in the courts of the king. Understand this. Jesus says, I've got the key. I can open doors that you never dreamed of that were possible. He said, you know, you take a look at your resume, I can make things happen in your life that your resume doesn't recommend you for. I hold the key. I have all these things. I can open doors that no one will shut, and I can shut doors that no one will open. Let me ask you something. How often do we try to push open doors that God is not wanting open? 
I mean, how many times do we see a door and we say, hey, look what someone else is doing, whether it's a ministry or whether it's a program or whether it's a job or whether it's a relationship or whatever it might be. We're like, hey, that looks really cool. I want to do that or we should do that or that is something that I really want to see. And we go, boom, let's push this thing open. And Jesus is saying, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You don't have the key. I have the key. It is so important, especially church during these days of COVID-19, that we are hearing the voice of God. It is so important that we are laying down our agendas and we are saying, Lord, you have the key. You open the door. Because the door that you will open is so much better than anything we can possibly, possibly imagine or do. Do you know it was 11 years ago that I was completely uh, depressed. I was kind of down. I was beat. I was, I was not a happy camper. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because I didn't think Milton Bible Church was making the impact in our community that God wanted us to make but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what he had in mind. And so I just began to pray and others began to pray. And we began to seek God and we began to say, Lord, we know you want more. We know you want to see more of the kingdom of God go forward in Milton. And it was about a year later and you know, we love to pray and, it's, and prayer is such an important part of everything God has done over the years here as we've heard his voice, it wasn't long after that that someone uh, gave us a phone call and said, hey, uh, this is so-and-so, her name was actually Karen from Food for Life, and we're wondering if you would consider partnering with us to hand out food in your community. And I'm like, what's the catch? You know, you want money? Do you want this? Do you want that? No, no, no. We will deliver you food, and you just give it away. And I'm like, you're going to give us and bless us, and we are going to bless others. And I'm like, that sounds a lot like grace. So you know what? Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. We prayed about it, and we said, uh, eventually we're in. And it started out with just, you know, eight people, ten people, a dozen people. We were excited when, you know, 20 people came you know, the, the first month, and we went and handed out flyers and, and different things and tried to make, you know, things known. We had no idea that 10 years later, we would have hundreds and hundreds of families that are being touched and affected and fed, and we would have hundreds and hundreds of relationships that are just a blessing in the lives of individuals. And I stand out there every week, and people say, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you're doing. And I just say, listen, God is good. You know, God is good. And God has allowed us to build relationships for his kingdom and for his glory. To see the gospel go forward in Milton and, and in our community. And so, listen, God will open doors that you cannot even begin to imagine in our personal life, in our work life, you know, on our street. But let's let God do that. Let's not force those doors. Sometimes we invoke the name of God when God's not involved at all. And I don't know how that breaks his heart, but let's let God push the door open. All right, uh, that's, that's enough of that. But let me just ask you, how many people will pray? How many of you will pray and say, God, use me. God, use me for your glory, but you open the door. 
You set that relationship in place. You make this thing happen. And may you receive all the glory. How many at Milton Bible Church will pray that prayer with me? Because I think this is a new day that God wants to do something extraordinary in the church and through the church. But it must be started and opened and sustained by him. With all my heart, I believe that. Listen, we are not called to export the Greco-Roman culture to the world. We are called to, to bring the kingdom of God uh, to the world. The kingdom of heaven on earth. That's our mission. So let's proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Set the oppressed free. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can we be a people who would ask God for that? Milton Bible Church, would you do that with me? Would you pray with me and let that be our heart? That God's kingdom would come. And while you're praying... For something big, don't overlook the small. Don't overlook the kids you know, that live in your house or the neighbors that live on your street or the people who you work with and you see every day and the friendships that you have been given. Pray, pray, pray and let God bring those people of peace into your life. You know, it's kind of like a man, he orders a meal. And that meal, uh, he's ordering a big meal because he's going to have a bunch of people over. And so he orders a meal. He goes into this place, leaves a big deposit. Leaves a big deposit down. And, uh, and then three months later, he comes back. He comes back. He walks up to the building that he had placed his food order in. And he sees that they have had a huge renovation. There's a great big sign that is on the building. He walks into this beautiful lobby. He sees that there's a poster. Now they're part of the Food Network. Work. They're on commercials and, and they're having reviews done, you know, in the GTA and they're becoming very, very well known. He walks up to the counter and he says, listen, I would like to pick up my order of food. You know, my, my company's coming over today. My meal's, you know, I need my, my meal now. And they say, oh, listen, we have, we're sorry. We have been so busy um, with our renovations and the food network. And uh, in fact, we've spent your deposit um, and so we can't refund your money. And the, the reality is we, we don't have the food uh, ready today. We're just so far behind. And you think to yourself, there's no product. <laughs> there's no product. Do you know what? How can that be? Let me ask you something. What is the product of the church? What is the product of the church? The product of the church is making disciples. Make disciples transform lives. That is the great commission. That is the calling of God upon our lives and upon our church. Be faithful to the task that you have been given. It is better to be faithful in Christ to be famous in the world. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus says, first of all, by being faithful to the task that the king has given to us. Secondly, endure the arrogance of the world. Verse 9, it says this. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world 
to try those who dwell upon the earth. A couple things I want to point out. First of all, these people are being persecuted by Jewish people. Um, In fact, Jesus calls uh, these folks the synagogue of Satan. They say that they are Jews, but they are not true Jews. In fact, they lie. Now, for whatever reason, this group of Jews has taken a hate to the church in Philadelphia. Now, we have to understand that this is not, uh, you know, that, that God loves Jews, that Jesus is Jewish. John, the one who writes this letter to the church of Philadelphia, he is Jewish. In fact, if, if we, as we read the book of Revelation further, we see that God has a specific plan of salvation for the Jewish people that is like no other. And so God has the Jewish people on his heart. But what he wants to do is he wants to remind the church. He wants to say to them that these Jews will one day know that Jesus loves his church. And one day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And believe uh, and and, and every person will, will bend the knee to Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus is trying to remind them of that. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The other thing that Jesus says is he talks about a promise to them. And he says this, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming back on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth. Now what does it mean? In Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, it's a famous verse for um, those in dispensational circles. And those who are seeking to understand the book of Revelation as a whole. Revelation 3.10 is a pivotal verse. It's a key verse. What does it mean when Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial? What is that hour that Jesus is talking about? Well, there's a couple possibilities. And let me just tell you one. One possibility is that Jesus is referring to uh, the tribulation period. And so perhaps he is talking about the rapture. He's talking about the rapture where Christ will come and he will take his people from the earth and deliver them from the seven years of tribulation in which the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth. Perhaps that is what Jesus is talking about. That time period is also mentioned in Daniel uh, chapter 70, or sorry, in, in Daniel's week, 70th week, and it's what really the chapters of Revelation 6 to 18 are talking about. The time of great trial, the seven-year tribulation. And perhaps Jesus is talking about taking the church out of that so that they do not experience that. But there's also another possibility that Jesus is simply saying that while you're in the midst of your trial and your troubles, I will be there protecting you. And the reason I say that is because in John chapter 17, verse 15, there is a phrase that John writes, the same person who's writing the book of Revelation, he uses the exact same wording both in English and in Greek. He's using the exact same wording, and and this is what he says. This is what he says in John 17, 15. As as Jesus prays for the church, he says, I do not ask that you take them from, sorry, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So whether it's in Revelation 3.10 or whether it's in John 17, 15, the wording is exact. 
Keep them from, keep them from. In Greek, it's tereo ek. Keep them from. And in the book of John, Jesus is praying while they're in the midst of trouble, keep them from the trouble. And perhaps he's saying exactly the same thing here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. That's a nugget for those of you who love the book of Revelation, who love to study charts and images and all kinds of things that happen. These are considerations to be uh, thought through. But here's the point. No matter what way you look at it, Jesus is saying, listen, man, when the trouble comes, I'm going to keep you from the great tribulation. I'm going to keep you from uh, the horrible things that happen. That Jesus is going to be with us in the midst of trial. He's going to be with us in the midst of trouble. He's going to protect us as we go through it. That is the promise of God. No matter which interpretation you take. That Jesus has our back. God will keep us safe even in the midst of trial. So be faithful. Be faithful to the calling that he has upon our church and upon our life and upon the commission to make disciples. The last thing Jesus says is this. The third key to staying faithful is to embrace the security of God. In verses 11 to 13, it says this. I am coming soon, so hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's three secure rewards of God that are mentioned here. And the first one is this. In verse 11, it says, Keeping, uh, keep being faithful so that no one can take your crown. And the crown is a reward, a reward that God will give us for being faithful, a crown and jewels that we will lay at his feet in worship one day. Then verse 12, he says, I will make him a pillar. Now understand, the people in Philadelphia would get this. They live amongst volcanoes. They have experienced earthquakes. And you know what happens to these large buildings when an earthquake happens or a volcano rumbles? The, the, the roof falls, you know, the walls fall in, but guess what stays standing? The pillar stays standing. And Jesus is saying, in the midst of the trouble and the trial and the volcanoes and the rumbling, you will be the pillars in the house of my God. You will remain standing. And then thirdly, the third secure reward that Jesus talks about is God writing all over these people. God is writing his name. He writes his name all over the people. He writes the name of his city, the new Jerusalem, all over his people. And Jesus writes his new name. Now, why do we write names on things? Why would Jesus write uh, these names all over his people in Philadelphia as part of the reward? Why? Understand this. When we have our name on something, it denotes ownership. 
It denotes ownership. So as you send your kids off to school, what are you going to do? You're going to take their lunch bucket and you're going to write your child's name on it. You're going to take their pencil case and you're going to write your child's name on it. You're going to take their jacket and you're going to write you know, your child's name on it. I remember one boy that grew up in this church. He was so forgetful that he, he would forget something almost every day. He was one of the smartest kids I'd ever, uh, or, <laughs> ever knew. But he forgot almost everything. And one day he came home without his pants his parents he got off the bus and his parents were like where are your pants and he said I don't know <laughs> I guess they forgot to write his name on the pants you know what when we write our names on things it lets us know who it belongs to and Jesus is saying I am going to write the name of my God on you so that you know that you belong to me. That's what he's saying. It means that we belong to him. Guaranteed, secure, nothing can erase that. It is, in fact, something that is going to be done. But also that, he says, I'm going to write the name of, my, of, of the city of my God. He says, I'm going to write a new address on you because you know what? Your earthly address is not your address. Your heavenly address, the address that you will live in in the new Jerusalem forever and ever, that is your true address. So guess what? I'm going to write that address all over your life. And then he says, I'm going to write my new name upon you. I'm going to write all over you. Whose name is written on us? The world's name? No, It's Jesus' name. And you know what he's going to write? He's going to write sinner to saint. He's going to write broken to beautiful. He's going to write lost to found. He's going to write captive, set free. That is what Jesus is going to write. And he's going to write it all over us, all over each one of us, both now and in the future. So church, be faithful Make an impact. Transform lives. Make disciples. Stay focused. Stay clear. Know the calling of God upon us as a church. And may God receive the glory. Let's be faithful. Listen, I don't know what the future looks like. You know, but as they say, the old saying, but we know who holds the future, don't we? We know who holds the future. So let's be faithful to our calling. Let's not get distracted. Let's not walk in fear, but let's walk in faith. Faith in the living God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith into the things that he has called us to. And the reward is great. We belong to him. And we will be with him forever. In the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem in the city of our God. What a great thing to look forward to. May God be the glory. Stay faithful, guys. Stay faithful. Stay walking with him. He'll open the doors. He'll keep them open, and he'll shut the ones he doesn't want us involved in. To him be the glory. Listen, have a great week, and we'll see you again soon. God bless. Mm -hmm.